everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. This series on the book of James. Thank you, Rocky. Thank you, Jordan, for uh, teaching us so well. It's a series about um, walking the walk, practicing what we preach, being authentic, recognizing our faith is more than what we believe, but how we behave. And today, James is going to draw our attention to something, something that if, if we're honest, we might be tempted to call it like, you know, a lesser sin, an acceptable Sin, And maybe that's why James addresses it so soberly and seriously and at some length here. And here's what he wants to talk about. Our tongues, our big fat mouths, right? And why couldn't Rocky or Jordan have preached on this one? Uh, Seriously, I do not come to this topic as someone who has uh, mastered this. That's actually a hilarious understatement. Pastor Potty Mouth, in fact, and you, you, get, <laughs> you get to listen in on a re- personal rebuke from James to your pastor right now. Are you excited? <laughs> now, lest you get too uh, arrogant, uh, this might be for you as well. So let's pick, off, let's pick up where we left off, James chapter 3. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church for you. You will be judged more strictly. (laughs) Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Yes, we do, James. For if we could control our tongues, we could be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. So let's just stop there for a second. He starts this conversation about our words, about our tongue. Uh, The message puts it this way. Not many of you should presume to be a teacher. Uh, It's not that it's a bad thing or that those who teach uh, should be looked down upon. Far from it. In fact, the Bible says very clearly that those who teach within the context of the church should be held in honor. (laughs) Oh man, this message has all kinds of landmines, doesn't it? Now I'm saying I'm deserving of honor. How That's very convenient. This is what the Apostle Paul, for example, wrote to Timothy. He says, the elders, and by by the way, that word elder and pastor in the Greek are almost um, interchangeable. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Teaching is a, a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so in no way is James disparaging teaching. So what is James after here? Presumption. Meaning someone who presumes to know more than others. Someone who presumes they are someone that others should listen to. Someone who presumes that they can counsel others. Someone who presumes they are living in a way that others uh, could learn from, should learn from. Someone who loves an audience. Someone who loves the sound of their own voice. Loves to tell 
how everyone else is living wrong and how to live their lives better. Um, James is after an attitude, not a vocation, because it's a deadly attitude. Deadly because anyone who promotes themselves as experts, particularly experts when it comes to the character, the mission, the will of God, then those experts can expect to be judged more strictly. We all stumble and fall. Uh, If we had it all together in terms of what we have to say to someone else about their life, if, if our advice, our counsel, our teaching was perfect, then we'd be perfect people. So presuming to teach others puts us in a potentially prideful position and and sets the table for the rest of this section of James because James wants to elevate the tongue in such a way that we see how often it sits in the driver's seat of our character and our maturity and, and really at the core of our spiritual lives. It seems that if we could just control the tongue, then maybe our whole life could be controlled, disciplined, matured. That's how significant it is. So, so right at the beginning, James says, if we're going to have a, a life that truly pleases God, a life that increasingly looks like Christ one way or another, I'm gonna have to eventually address me and my big mouth. Um, Here's how he says it. I'll read from the message. Uh, A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. How is something so small, how can it exert such impact for good or for evil? You know, it's been a while since I've been on a horse, but like, you know, I've seen Yellowstone. So uh, one small bit in the mouth of a horse, and it's, it's relatively small, but it controls this incredibly powerful animal. Uh, Think of a ship, huge, massive, but directionally controlled by a relatively small rudder. Now, James says, think of the vast expanse of your life, all your actions, all um, the state of your soul. These large swaths of your life can be controlled by something so small as your tongue. So, do we make light of it? Do we downplay it? Do we justify it? Or is, is it something we're going to take seriously the, the way James tells us we should take seriously? Well, let's listen to what our tongues are saying and think about even the phrases we use. We talk about little white lies. What does that mean? Like that they're not really lies or they don't count? Or how about when we talk about a, a slip of the tongue? like it was no big deal. And then there's the ways we justify it, like saying, um, no offense, but, and then the most offensive thing comes out of our mouth. Pardon my French. (laughs) Cover your ears, kids. Um, I'm not racist, but rest assured, the next thing that comes out of that person's mouth would be the most racist stuff you've ever heard. Um, 
You know, this may get me canceled, but I'm just being honest. Um, I'm, you know, I'm Irish, I'm South American, I'm Russian, you know. We, we, we talk rude, that's just how we are. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes these are phrases to justify saying something really nasty or rude or out of line or hurtful or tactless. Um, have you noticed how we lead into saying things that are really gossipy? Now, I don't mean to gossip, but, and then we're off to the races gossiping. Or, I love this person. I really do. I love this person. But, and then we say something that would have to be categorized as anything but loving. How about this one? I, anybody ever live in the southern states? Well, like the Briggs sort of, right? I don't know if Florida is considered southern states, but did you ever hear this phrase, uh, um, bless their hearts? Oh, bless their hearts. It sounds nice. And I hate to ruin the phrase for someone who's using it innocently, but if someone says to you, bless your heart, there's a, there's a greater than 50% chance they mean, oh, you poor sweet dum-dum. Um... <laughs> Oh, little Johnny, he tries as hard as he can, bless his heart. He's just a few fries short of a Happy Meal, though, you know. (laughs) Look at that poor man trying to jog around the track. Bless his heart, his rear end just dragging behind him there. (laughs) Now, um, what we say, though, can also be so powerful in a good way. The Bible's very clear about the, the potency of encouraging words, uplifting words. Complimentary words are just as powerful to build up as they are to tear down, which is why it's so tragic that we have um, such a hard time doing it. It's easy to tear down. It's hard to build up. And if we do build someone up, a lot of times we have to put a little caveat in there, a little jab. I catch myself doing this sometimes. It's as if we can't, you know, give a compliment without bringing you back down to earth. Well, I wouldn't want you to get a big ego. Don't worry. Uh, Life does a pretty good job of of kicking out any esteem uh, that we may have had. You don't need to worry about me getting a big head. I can barely look at myself in the mirror a lot of days. And it's like we, we give with one hand, but take with the other. Charles Swindle once wrote about this. He called it taking the butt approach. We say he's an excellent salesman, but he's not very sincere. Uh, yeah, she's smart, but she doesn't have common sense. Uh, he's, he's a good student, but he doesn't really apply himself. Or what about someone who does a good job, but we maybe cast a shadow over it by questioning their motives. Somebody makes an effort to do something nice, and we say, well, look who's racking up brownie points. Or, or somebody gets a promotion, and we say, I guess it's all who you know. And, and then there's this comparison game. Somebody does something good or noteworthy, and we instantly compare it to something better. So, so John redoes his kitchen, and we're like, oh, it's nice. I mean, it's not Steve Robinson nice, but it's, it's nice. Somebody, somebody's kids make all A's, and we're like, yeah, my niece did that. Of course, hers were all AP honors courses. Uh, 
You see how messed up that is? Just encourage. Just compliment. Why is that so hard? Well, James isn't done. He wants to really drive home the point. And, and, and the point that what comes out of our mouths really is a force to be reckoned with. And so he continues in verse 5. And I love, again, how Eugene Peterson paraphrases it. Let me read it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do just that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. It only takes a spark. Little little Christian camp humor for those my age or older. That's some strong language in James, but that's, that's because James knows this is serious. And maybe he knows how lightly we take it. And what a powerful image, particularly if you've been watching the news lately. Um, my old home province of Alberta is, is going through this right now. My former church is within less than an hour's drive, and I noticed they are, they are putting together uh, meals and... and um, uh, care packages for those who've been displaced from their homes because forest fires are destroying whole towns or encroaching on their homes. Uh, yearly we have these examples, don't we? In BC or Northern Ontario or Australia or California. You know, the heat can get so intense, it, it, it can produce its own weather system. They, they produce um, pyrocumulus clouds and those clouds become like their own thunderstorms with lightning and strong winds. And, and all of that, the billions in damage, the upheaval, from what? What was probably a discarded cigarette or a single match or an ember, a spark. That's the way the tongue works. Get that forest fire image in your head, a single word or sentence or conversation can destroy a life, separate a marriage, wreak havoc in an organization, ruin a reputation. Pastor Glenn and I were talking about this this week about a text that almost blew up a pastor's ministry. Words, words have power of life or death. It can turn brother against brother, neighbor against neighbor, nation against nation. That's no exaggeration. Uh, have you ever taken a, an honest-to-goodness audit of what comes out of your mouth? Uh, the tone, maybe, in which those things come out of your mouth. The, the kind of things that you text or post. How you talk to your spouse, how you talk to your kids. How you talk to the manager at Walmart, RBC, fill in the blank. So, so let's take the tongue as seriously as James is asking us to. If we were to put some spiritual controls on our mouths, what would that look like? Uh, if we were to run what we say through some sort of Holy Spirit Brita filter, you know, what what? What would that look like? What would those filters be? Uh, you know, maybe think of one of those computer virus protectors that pops up and says, warning, sketchy website. What sort of warnings or filters 
um, could we use? And, and, and might they even be able to cut us off at the past before we say something hurtful, incongruent with the, with the kind of Christ follower that we want to become? Can I suggest four things to think about before you say something? First, ask yourself, filter number one, is what I'm going to say true? Um, if you know it's not, or if you're not sure, or if it's just a rumor, or if it's second, third, fourth-hand information, don't say it. Because it, it probably doesn't pass the truth test. Folks, can I tell you something? In the world of, of chat GPT and AI and deep fakes and partisan news, it is going to get harder and harder for us to discern truth. And if you haven't heard of these things yet, I assure you, you will. We are in for a crisis in the next few years as we are determining what is true um, more than ever. So we need to be a people of truth, okay? I have lots to say about why Christians should be the last people who are susceptible to debunked conspiracy theories, you know, least of all being a people who spread them. Uh, We are to be a people of truth because we serve a God of truth. So that's the first filter. Is it true? Filter number two, is what I'm going to say helpful? Because even if it gets past the first filter, uh, meaning that it is true, it doesn't necessarily mean it's helpful. Um, In other words, is what I'm going to say encouraging? Uh, Does it does it build people up? Our words should heal. They should bring life. They should benefit those who listen. I know a lot of things about people that are true that if I were to say them or repeat them or pass them on, it would be sinful because um, there would be no point in it except to gossip, assassinate their character, uh, needlessly point out a sin in their life, which I might add, we all have plenty of in, in ourselves to go around. Truth itself is not enough. It's, it should pass the why test. Um, why would I say this? What's my agenda? Am I trying to hurt or to help? Um, to, to build up or arouse suspicion? Here's another filter. Number three is what I'm going to say being said to the right person. This one's interesting. Meaning, are you talking to who you should be talking to? Let's say you have an issue with someone. Um, Should you talk about that with six other people? Three other people? One other person? No, no, no. Biblically, there's one person you should talk to about it. The person you have an issue with. Oh, I was just getting some counsel beforehand. Yeah, but you got counsel from 10 different people. Stop it. You need to talk to the person. And there are rare exceptions to this. You know, for instance, sometimes you, you actually might need to go to the police first. Uh, maybe the person you should talk to is not a safe person. Um, you need backup. But 99% of the time, talk to the person. Now, let's say you have done that. You've gone to them to try to work things out. Should you go to another person later with what you talked about to that person? No. I know what you're thinking. You're, you're thinking I'm taking all the fun out of your life. 
sorry, not sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get even less fun here in a second. Because here's one last filter. Is what I'm going to say loving? And, and maybe that's the biggest filter of all. If, if you are seeking to be loving towards that person, you wouldn't say something that wasn't true. If you're trying to be loving, you wouldn't say something that isn't helpful. Uh, if, you're, if you're trying to be loving, you wouldn't say something about them behind their back. But it's still a good separate filter because it also speaks to how you say things. Will it be gracious? Will it be humble? Uh, will it give the other person the benefit of the doubt? Or will it be accusational, judgmental, sanctimonious, mean-spirited? This is so important of a filter for our mouths that James wants to drive it home. And so, so let me read it as we continue. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? So again, James is using strong, colorful metaphors here to drive this final point home. This is the essence of what he's saying. It's it's super powerful. How we talk to each other and about each other should reflect how we talk to God and about God. Um, Or at very least, reflect how God would talk to them or about them. What James is wanting to expose is this. Someone who is a Christ follower honors God with his mouth, sings about him, prays to him, and then with that same mouth, turns around and just savagely, verbally brutalizes another, wounds them. They slander, backstab, criticize, tear down, belittle, mock, uh, spread suspicion, undermine, fault find. This is not just sinning with our mouths. This is cognitive dissonance. Like this is undermining everything we say we believe about God and our relationship with God. Because the call on our life is to love God and love people. And if you love God but don't love people, then something is wrong with the loving God part. Because they are his people. They are his children. Parents, have you noticed this? Um, do you ever feel more loved personally than when someone loves your kids? Oh man, isn't, isn't the most beautiful thing? Oh, this person, they see, they see the wonderful things in my kids that I see. This person is looking past the annoying things that I see in my kids and still loves them. Uh, When a teacher stood up to give the award in junior high to my Rosa for citizen of the year, classmate of the decade, or whatever it was, and (laughs) through her tears, 
and my tears. And she's saying these amazing things about Rosa. I'm like, this teacher gets it. You know what I'm saying? We love people who love our kids. And I think it's the same with God. When we love his children, he lights up as well. He's like, oh, this guy gets it, right? And maybe on the other hand, when we are ungenerous, unkind, ungracious with his children, children of the Imago Dei, children created in the very image of God, well, how do you feel when people are that way towards your children? Remember, that is his son, that is his daughter, that is his child that I'm being ungracious towards. Someone he loves. And it doesn't matter how frustrated I might be with him. God is crazy about them. And I need to interact with them the way God would have me interact with them. It would be like someone coming to me and saying, oh, PJ, I love your teaching. I love, I love you as a pastor. Have you lost weight? It looks, like, it looks like you have. And then they walk away from me and run into one of my kids and I just hear them tearing them down without grace or mercy. As if somehow they can be fine with me but cruel to one of my kids. Mm-mm, nope. We are not okay. Gentlemen suitors, you can keep that in mind as well. (laughs) We sing with our hands lifted up. I surrender. And then go in the foyer and talk about someone and call them a a fatuous popinjay. Something about the old timey put downs. I really, you sir are a a foppish blunderbuss. A gadabout, a fuss budget, a white-livered scallywag. (laughs) If only what we said was that inoffensive. What we say is more cruel. And James says that that's what we do with God. We praise him and then curse his children. I mean, the irony is just thick. But it's even more toxic than that. Uh, These are not just God's children. But if you're a Christ follower... And I'll I'll speak to us as a church. We're talking about our brothers and our sisters, mothers, daughters, fathers, sons. We are part of a close-knit family of faith. And the way we other people sometimes, the way we put them into boxes, it's not how families talk, okay? You know, when you call someone woke, in the pejorative sense, you know? You're othering them in this category of, I don't have to take this person seriously because their politics don't align with mine. And then I might have to open my Bible and show you all the instances where Jesus would have to be considered woke. And it, but it happens on the other side too. There's this new pejorative of, of old white men, you know? That's a good way to other people, isn't it? Make them less than. Your opinion doesn't count because you're an old white guy. You're part of the corrupt patriarchy that has kept society backwards. You know what? I just found out this week that I'm an old white guy. Can you, can you believe it? Yeah. Uh, what? Sorry? 
Was it Danita? She's not listening to the rest of the message. I was, I was shocked. I, uh, I still think I'm a young adult. And uh, this, this community, how we speak to each other, it should be an example to the world. This is a place, we are people, where love and grace should flow freely. And that's why James is going on this rant. And, and well, he should. We need him to, now more than ever. No attribute of civilized life these days is more under attack than civility. And sometimes, sometimes people who call themselves Christians are the worst offenders. A Christian on Christian verbal violence. Are you a complementarian? Or you're not? You're an egalitarian? Well, we're a Bible-believing church, so we're Arminian. No, uh, we interpret the Bible correctly, so we're Calvinists. I'm pre-millennial. I'm uh, amillennial. I'm post-millennial. I'm post-millennial. I threw that in for the Gen Z uh, kids. Uh, we can be brutal with each other. So, um, let me just add this bonus filter as I wrap up. Bonus filter. When in doubt, Shut your mouth. Really. Because chances are the more we talk, the more we'll sin. It's true, and it's in the Bible. Uh, It's in this great book of wisdom called Proverbs. Here's what it says. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible. Keep your mouth shut. They said that um, on the average, we speak 10,000 words a day. And uh, I, I wonder how many missteps that holds. How many relational sins are in that 10,000 words? I mean, just take lying as one example. William Backus cites research that indicates that the average person lies 200 times a day in one form or another. Even if it's something like, you look great, and they don't really. Or, you know, that was really good, and it wasn't. Right, like, and I won't weigh in on if that's an example that you know is even such a terrible thing. Um, lies when we're trying to be nice. I'm just saying, 200 lies. Now, I know you would say 200's a bit high for you, which means um, now you're at 201. <laughs> but lying is just one form of an untamed tongue. There's gossip and slander and. Anger and insults and unkept promises. Lots more. I heard this, this true story of a family who was sitting in, in church. And the pastor's sermon stretched on and on, as this one has. And the little girl sitting with her dad got impatient. She started to talk. And so the dad shushed her and said, shh, shh, shh. I want to hear the sermon. And uh, later that week, this young family saw their pastor out grocery shopping, and so they greet each other. And as the pastor walked away, the dad said to the little girl, do you know who that was? And she was like, yeah, that's the sermon. And, you know, she was right, in a way. Uh, maybe more right than she knew. Because the way we talk to our kids, to our spouse, it's a sermon of sorts. Uh, it's communicating something something about the character of Christ or 
the lack thereof in you. You're, you're a walking, talking sermon with your coworkers as they watch you. Student here this morning, when you join in or not join in with the kind of raunchy talk or trashing someone not in the room, that's a sermon. Uh, an either good one or a bad one. Uh, you're a sermon to that barista, to that waitress, uh, to your social media followers. You're a sermon to your kid's teacher, to your hockey team. And you may say it's just locker room talk, but someone is taking it as a sermon. A sermon that says, oh, so this is how Christians really talk. Good, got it. Thanks. In fact, James doesn't put it exactly this way, but the whole gist of his letter is like, your life is a sermon. It's saying something. It's saying something to people who wouldn't darken the door of a church to listen to one of my sermons. So what is your life preaching? So far as the taming of the tongue goes, you know, if you can't manage the first four filters, if you can't speak the truth in a helpful way to the right person, in a loving way, um, maybe we're best not to say anything. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of our mouths, the meditations of our heart, be pleasing to you, our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Lord, um, Free our tongues for your praise and for the building up of others. Train our tongues in gospel speak. Make us fluent in the vocabulary of Jesus. Would you convict us quickly when our words are poorly chosen or intentionally hurtful or there are simply too many of them? In other words, Lord, may we learn to speak Jesus. Speak Jesus over every heart and mind. Speak hope. Speak freedom. Speak power. Speak life. Speak healing. Speak Jesus. Amen. Amen.